Thank you, Brian. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys? When we began the Dream Boulder process, one of the themes we had is we want to invest for the next 25 years. We didn't realize that the investment was in the next 25 years, that we may be in that building, that the building is for the next generation, literally. Because some of this generation, like the children of Israel, may not see our building. But we are grateful, and it has been one where the Lord is teaching us a lot of things. If you see Dan Lance, just pray for his soul, his body, because he's our project manager on that. And uh, we just hope he makes it through to the end to see the finish line on this. So my name is Aaron Wardle. I'm really grateful to be able to be preaching today in our series, Parables, The Kingdom Revealed. And today, I want us to take some time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to a parable that we find in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, and they're a little different in each place. But in this parable, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a tiny mustard seed. And he says that the tiny mustard seed, that when it is planted in a garden, it'll grow up into the size of a large tree where the birds of the air will nest in it. So we're going to look at how Jesus invites us to mustard seed moments. We guys pray with me? I know Brian just prayed, but I got to do it too. Holy Spirit, you are here and I love the fact that as I look at through Scripture, you come like the wind, like Pentecost, when it rushes in. But there are times, Lord, like with Elijah, where you came in a whisper. And in this moment, Lord, we just want to say yes to the wind of your Spirit and the whisper of your Spirit. And I beg of you that you just do everything you want to do. Even before I get to the points, I bless my friends that they may see mustard seed moments, glimpses of the kingdom, and the goodness of God right here and right now. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. And so we drop in in chapter 13 in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to back up a little bit because a lot of times the parables, these stories that Jesus gives that are mysterious, that at face value go, what are you talking about? Oftentimes when we back up into the context and we take a running start, we see more of what he's talking about. And so we drop into the Gospel of Luke chapter 13, and Jesus is preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And people are gathered around there, and he's teaching, and people are a day of peace and a day of rest. And as he's there, he looks and he sees a woman who is hunched over. And it says this woman has had a dis disabling spirit for 18 years. She has been hunched over, and her body has been broken. And she's there, and Jesus catches eyes with her. Now, we don't know if she is a regular attender of this synagogue, or if she's just heard that there is this miracle worker that showed up this week and she's there to see him. But we don't know which one it is. But as Jesus is preaching to a crowd of religious leaders, seekers, all different types of people, he catches his eye to this woman who's in pain. And he says, come here. I was kind of offended when I read that. It's like, uh, excuse me, Jesus, Messiah who knows everything, why didn't you go over to her? You see that she's having a hard time. And he makes a scene where she has to get up in front of everyone and make her way over. And it says that she's crouched over. And she gets over to Jesus and he looks at her. And I almost imagine his face was just this huge grin of love and of joy. And he lays hands on her and he says, be healed. And she's healed instantaneously. And she stands up. And can you imagine the reaction of the crowd? I was just here for a sermon. 
and the kingdom of God broke in. And people were beginning to celebrate. And this woman for 18 years that has been plagued is now free. Free of any demonic spirit. Free of the disability. And she's there and going, oh my word, for 18 years this has been my plight. And on this one day I meet the Messiah and I am no longer the same. I would love to be in that type of environment. You see someone that is broken brought to wholeness before your eyes. But the context of this is very interesting because you'd expect a reaction for people to just to start to slow clap, yeah, and start to praise God. But some of the reaction of the religious leaders, they're filled with contempt, and they're filled with anger. And this one religious leader, though I'm gonna confess I am more like him than I am the woman who's been healed, He's a coward because in the moment, he looks at the crowd instead of at Jesus and he rebukes the people. You know what? Six days during the week, you could come for healing, but the Sabbath is for rest. There should be no healing. We're not going to work. Would kind of be after like an emergency surgery and a doctor is able to, to, to heal someone and they go, hey, that's not allowed. We don't use that room for that. But in the midst of this, this, this religious leader has the audacity, this, the audacity to say to the crowd, none of that today, we're not doing any healings, you got six days for healing, but today's the day for suffering. And he begins to weaponize, and this religious leader not only confronts and addresses and, and begins to berate the people, but he weaponizes scripture to attack them with the very text to say you're not to work. Oftentimes, I confess, religious leaders can weaponize the very word of God to rebuke the people of God. And Jesus' reaction to that says, not on my watch. Because he begins to speak to the religious leader. And in front of everyone, he basically verbally gives this religious leader a bare-bottom spanking in front of everybody. And he says to him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and a leader to wade to water? Most of them would say, well, that would be cruel not to. And so Jesus comes back and says, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan had bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And so Jesus is saying, listen, you're a hypocrite here and you're blinded to what God is doing because you're looking at a technicality of the law that isn't even actually scripture and you're trying to refute what God is doing in the midst of this. The passage said, and he said these things and all his adversaries were put to shame, boo. And all the other people rejoiced for the glorious things that God has done. Jesus knew how to divide a crowd. Like if you have someone who's a people pleaser or does any of you get anxious when you're watching in a crowd, you like feel the energy of a crowd? Jesus would be rough. I feel it all the time. My wife's like, you are a weirdo. And I was like, it's pronounced wardle. I'll be here all week. Thank you, folks. So, but one of the things with that is Jesus divides the crowd, and this is an emotionally charged environment. Half of them are filled with celebration for what God has done, and half of them are filled with contempt for what God has done. So the crowd is divided. And after he does this, this is the backdrop. 
And I imagine that the room was just silent. Remember when you were a kid, if you had siblings, and one of your siblings, like for me, I have two sisters, they got in trouble, and you're sitting there, and they get in trouble, and it just goes quiet, because one of your parents has just absolutely gone off on them. And you're sitting there going, you're holding your face like, there's a smile of going like, you just got it. But there's silence, and it's an awkward tension, because one person is like, yes, and the other person is no. And that's what's going on. And in the middle of this silence, Jesus, the brilliant teacher, he steps up as the whole place is quiet, I imagine. There's no more murmuring. And he begins to ask two rhetorical questions that was the practices of the rabbi. They'd give you two questions, bam, bam. And then they would answer it. So Jesus stood up and he said these things in Luke chapter 13. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom like and what shall I compare it? Now I imagine there's a few people in the crowd of going like, excuse me, are we supposed to answer this? Is this a back and forth or, oh, you're just going to talk. Okay, okay, I'll just keep to myself. So Jesus begins to say, what is the kingdom like? And what shall I compare it to? I believe that after they just saw heaven break in, the demonic cast out, the disability freed, uh, a religious leader rebuked, they're going, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to want to hear this right now because this is going to be intense. What's the kingdom like? He's going to tell us. You ready? It's probably going to be grand and glorious. It's going to unravel all of these Old Testament passages. And this is what he said. It's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Hmm, not exactly what I was expecting after the scene that we've just had. And again, Jesus in this moment steps in as he has their attention, and he recognizes for the people there that they are blinded to the kingdom of God. They don't see it. They're blinded. Some of them are so blinded by their expectations of what it's to look like, they step over it all the time. Others are so blinded by the fact that they're looking for the phenomenological. They're looking for always the miracles. They're looking for things that are bigger and better, and they're missing it. And Jesus recognizes in that moment, well, this is what's happening in the synagogue. These people don't know what my kingdom looks like. And so in that moment, he's, he recognizes their blindedness. And he reorients them to say, this is what it's like. So what I'd like to do for a little while is just take a couple minutes. I just want to unpack some of the things in this passage. The teachings of Jesus in Scripture are so funny. Because I started studying this. And I looked and I'm like, there's not enough to preach on. And by the end of the week, I'm going, uh-oh, there's way too much to talk about. But I love the fact that there's so much buried in this text. One of the things that we see that Jesus gets up and he asks this question, what should I liken the kingdom of God to? What's it like? And one of the things he's doing right off the bat is he's recognizing, but he's also reorienting them to say, this is what the kingdom's God like. Because the people that gathered would have had in mind, we know what that's like. The kingdom of God is the return to the glory days of Israel. So what's going to happen is there will be a mighty militant leader 
that comes in on the scene and delivers Israel from the Romans and delivers Israel from their oppression. And it's going to return them to the days of David and Solomon when we were a famous nation throughout the world. That's what the kingdom's God like. And so they're looking for glimpses of it. Where's the religious leader? Where is the militant leader? Where is the conquering king that's going to ride in? Restoring our economics, restoring our political status, restoring our religion, restoring social order. When is it going to happen? And Jesus goes, it's not going to happen like that. He's basically saying, you're looking for the grand and the glorious, and I'm going to come in the small and the ordinary. So the kingdom of God is Alistair Begg. I love the way he says, he says, the kingdom of God is not a region, but a reign. They were looking for the return of their region to be a prosperous kingdom once again. But what Jesus is ushering in is the reign and rule of God, the vision and the values of God, the presence, the power, the truth and love of God on earth as it is in heaven. You get that? On earth as it is in heaven, throughout the earth as it is in heaven, not just a region in the Middle East, but everywhere. Their minds would have been blown. So he talks the kingdom of God. What do I liken it to? And then he uses this odd illustration back to agriculture of a mustard seed. And one of the things that we see about a mustard seed is in Mark and in Luke, it says it's the tiniest of all seeds. This was not a botany lesson. It is not the tiniest of all seeds. But there was a slang and there was a measurement that the rabbis would use and they would use another time that the size of a mustard seed. It meant really small. It was kind of like 40 days. It didn't mean 40 days. It meant a longer period of time. And so this was a, a, a saying that the smallest of all things, but this mustard seed that was very, very tiny. But one of the things about a mustard seed is it was common and it was available. It grew throughout Galilee and the Jordan Valley, and it grew wild. So there's mustard seeds everywhere. And most of the time, they just grew up wherever the birds would take them or the wind would blow them, and they would be able to be planted, and they would grow up. And then other times, someone would take them and put them in the garden. But the first thing we see about the mustard seed is it's everywhere. It's available. It's common. This would have gone flip things upside down because oftentimes when I think of the kingdom of God, I do not think of the available and the common. I think of the extraordinary and the sacred. The next thing, the mustard seed was really, really small. It was very tiny, but it had the potential to grow very large. Usually average of the black mustard seed, there's three different kinds, four different kinds. There's the white one, there's the yellow one, and the black one. The black one would be the one that would grow up the largest. But when planted, it could usually grow three to six feet. But under extraordinary circumstances, it would grow from 10 to 12 feet. But it wasn't really a tree. It's a large, large, large plant. And so you can do some study of that. But the beauty of it is, it is something that is absolutely small, that grows very, very large. It's filled with unseen potential. One of the things about the mustard seed is resilient and it grows fast. It doesn't have to have the perfect conditions. It needs sun, needs at least some nutrients in the soil, it needs some water, but it's really a resilient seed to grow. And it grows quickly. 
The other thing that we see is that the mustard seed had tons, of, the mustard plant tree had tons of use. One of the things, what do we think of when you think of mustard? It's a seasoning, it's a spice. But also that they would cook the leaves like, like boiled spinach and they would eat that. So it's for sustenance. It would also be used for medicinal purposes. Throughout ancient culture, mustard and in natural medicine, there would be the use of mustard, for, uh, mustard seed for medicinal purposes. Is it kind of neat to see like, oh, I see what you're doing here, Jesus. I got you. You got a lot of meanings of what's going on into that. And the last thing is that it would grow up and it could be huge. As we look at this passage, and as I was studying it this week, something jumped out to me at one of the characters. And it's really short, but one of the things I began to notice is Jesus talks about a mustard seed, but then he talks about a man. And the man takes the mustard seed and he sows it in his garden. And I think we don't want to miss out on that because that's important. Because these mustard seeds were available and everywhere. And they were wild. They were common. They had, un they had this exponential potential. But in this passage, it sees that this man recognized the potential of this. Little seed. He saw it. You know what? And whether he bought it at a place or he just saw it on the, you know, maybe it's one of those seeds where the sower cast it onto the, to the, uh, to the road. And he's like, well, that's going to get ruined, so I'm going to take that home with me. And he puts it in his own garden. I just want to hang on to that for a moment because we don't want to miss out on that. Because there's this beautiful partnership that the kingdom of God is tiny like a mustard seed, is the reign and rule of Jesus. But there's a partnership where when we recognize the kingdom of God and we bring it into our lives, our garden, it grows something. I love that. I loved how it is in that. And I missed it so many times. The next thing we see in this passage is the tree. Now, Jesus is doing what good preachers and rabbis do, and he's, he's exaggerating. He's like, there's the tiniest of all the seeds, and it grows to be the largest of all the plants. Well, you, you are the Messiah. You spoke there is light, and there was life, and you've been there since the beginning. But he's reminding them this is not a botany lesson. This is not a dendrology, the study of trees lesson. But this is a lesson on the kingdom of God. It is exponential growth. And that the tree, the seed, when actualized in the form of the tree, has incredible benefits. We see that Jesus may be also alluding to, or is everybody okay? We doing all right? Just want to check in. Just remind you that there's water over here and in other places. We also see in this passage that Jesus could potentially be alluding to the prophecies in Daniel and Ezekiel when it says that there will be a tree that grows up. And as it grows up, in its branches, the birds will come and nest and the beasts of the field will be under it. And there is this idea of he's kind of winking to the fact because in scripture, the birds of the air oftentimes refers to the other nations other than Israel. And so they will come from the little tiny seed planted in our little garden will come the birds of the air from all nations that will find rest in the branches. And those birds that talked about in the passage, scholars argue this word for nest because there's actually a problem because the branches of a mustard tree are gonna be pretty small. And so for a bird to nest there, it's a bit of a stretch. But in a sermon, Jesus taught us that you could stretch. 
But what is really potentially it's talked about is the bird rests there, perches there, feeds on the leaves and on the seeds, and it finds shelter from prey and the sun. I love how in this little tiny paragraph, in this little parable, Jesus just provides a meal that we can eat off of for a long, long time. As he recognized the fact that they're blinded to the kingdom, he wants to reorient them to what the kingdom is like, to something that is common, something that has exponential growth. And so what I want to do for just a few moments here as we transition, I just want to share with you what I believe this is saying about the kingdom. And I'm going to repeat some of the things here. But I just want to share with you what I believe some of this is saying to us about the kingdom. But I want to bless you and me in this moment that the Lord may do what Paul prays in Ephesians and that he may illuminate the eyes of our hearts, that we may begin to see the glory and the goodness of the kingdom that is all around us. So one of the things that I think that this passage that Jesus is intending because of what we've seen in the synagogue, the first thing is the kingdom of God is available. That mustard seed was available throughout Galilee and in Jordan. You literally could be walking by the Jordan River and just pick leaves off mustard trees. You could take their seeds. And so it was available. It was common. And so instead of it being something, the kingdom of God being unattainable for only those people, he's saying the kingdom of God is untamed and is wild and is wonderful and it's available to everyone. The next thing that we see in this is with the kingdom of God, there is exponential potential. There's exponential potential. Because the kingdom of God may show up in the tiniest of seeds and grow into one of the largest plants in the garden. The potential there is exponential. You can't even measure it. You know, oftentimes we want to have the kingdom of God to be like a fully packaged, pre-packaged, already complete item. When God says, here, and this is what it is. But in this, the kingdom of God often shows up like a seed that is yet to be planted. That will grow. The next thing that we see in this seed that I believe is shalom. Because in shalom, this Hebrew word that has its origins in the word peace, it means a wholeness, a completeness, a soundness, a health, a safety, a prosperity. And that's what I see in the mustard tree. Because there's sustenance. There's food in the mustard seed. The people would eat. They'd eat its leaves. Not only is there food for sustenance, but there's flavor. That the kingdom of God seasons life with a robust flavor. And it brings out the textures and it gives something Spice. The next thing we see in this shalom is healing. That just like they would use the mustard seed for medicinal purposes, the kingdom of God brings healing for the person and for others. And finally, 
It brings rest. As the birds would perch in the branches and they would feed off it and they would find shelter from the sun and from, they'd find shelter from prey, that the, that, that the kingdom of God brings a deep rest for the person that places it in their garden. But it doesn't stop there. So we see that the kingdom of God is available. The kingdom of God has exponential potential. We see the kingdom of God has shalom. And the last thing that I want to bring out, and I encourage you to check out these passages, Luke 13, because it just continues to bring out more and more, and it continues to bloom in its meaning. But the last thing is the kingdom of God is about partnership between God and humanity. Does that make sense? The kingdom of God is about partnership with God and humanity, just like a man who takes the tiny seed and plants it in the garden. When it grows up, it's food for themselves, it's healing for themselves, it's the spice of life for themselves, it's rest and shade, but it's also meant for the birds. What are those birds? Others. So the kingdom of God is a partnership, not only for us, but as we experience the shalom of God, the potential of God, the availability of God through his kingdom, it's not meant for us to just store, it's meant for us to offer to others. I like to store encounters with God. I'm like, I just wanna meet with you, God. He's like, you know, you do realize, like I love hanging out with you, Aaron, but it's not just for you. These encounters that you have, they're to impact others. David Bivin and Joshua Tilden, they wrote this. They said, Jesus told the mustard seed parable in order to illustrate his view that the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is not a super historical static reality, but a communal activity in which God partners with human beings in order to bring redemption into the world. So when you take the mustard seed and you plant it in your garden, and you begin to see it sprout into a tree, it's not just for you, it's for others. So my question, and I'm gonna give you a moment to think about this, and I promise I'm wrapping up. How does this parable that Jesus spoke confront the culture we live in? It's not gonna be on the screen. How does this parable that Jesus spoke confront the culture we live in. Take a moment if you want to chat. I'll give you like 30 seconds. How does this confront the culture we live in? Okay, next question for you. I would have you call it out, but it's loud and, and I gotta move on. How does this parable that Jesus spoke convict you? It's fun to confront our culture, doesn't it? Oh, let me tell you, this bad news. We're just going to hell in a handbasket. And then the Lord turns it on us and he says, well, what's your conviction? How does this parable about the mustard seed 
Or where does this parable of the mustard seed convict you? I encourage you this week to think about this. I'm going to do a little bit of public confession here. I'll tell you where it convicts me. I am blinded by my expectations of what the kingdom of God is to look like, feel like. I'm blinded. Because I'm really, every day, for my entire spiritual journey, Lord forgive me, I am on the lookout for intense feelings. I want it to feel and if it doesn't feel like God, he's not around. So he's been saying this. You only experience my kingdom when you feel it, Aaron. And when you don't feel it, you whine that I'm not around and that I'm not doing anything. None of you are like this. This is just the way I am. But the one thing that's happened with me in this is I began to ignore the fact that the entire earth is full of the glory of the living God. And I miss it because I am only saying it's him when I feel it, emotionally or physically. And he's saying, buddy, I'm bigger than your feelings. And sometimes I show up as a mustard seed and you don't feel anything. The next thing, this feels so liberating. Thank you for this therapy. You all should have this chance sometime, just not here. <laughs> the next thing is feeling, the next is phenomenon. Phenomenon, it sounds like uh, the, the um, anyways, the Muppets. But phenomenon is this idea, is I am looking for this extraordinary experience where the presence of God rides in like Pentecost. And if it doesn't ride in with someone's hair lit up and people speaking in a different language, I'm not sure where God's been today. Were you sleeping today, God? Is it your Sabbath? Did you just take a break today? And what he's showing me, he's saying, Aaron, I love to show up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I love to show up on Pentecost with tongues of fire and people speaking. And I show up and I'll shake mountains and I'll split waters. But I also show up in a mustard seed that's almost barely recognizable. And this week has been so sweet because, forgive me for being graphic, but there has been the smell of burning flesh. And what I mean by that is the Lord is burning away my fleshly view, my view of the kingdom. Because he's saying, Aaron, what should I liken the kingdom to? That's oh, a mustard seed that a man plants in a garden and it grows into a tree and the birds nest in it. It's way bigger. Don't be blinded by your assumptions and your expectations of how God works. Because in doing so, we miss out on what I believe are mustard seed moments. 
We spend our days trampling on the ground and there's mustard seeds everywhere. Throughout every moment of the day, there are mustard seed moments where these glimpses of the kingdom of God that are breaking in, but they don't show up how we think they should. For me, it's not a feeling or phenomenon. Maybe for you, it's something else. But we step on these mustard seed moments because our heads are in the clouds looking for a huge feeling, a huge phenomenon, something that is glorious, something that is prepackaged, something that is already, that is a conquering king, and we miss out on the tiny glimpses of the kingdom all around us. There are many things you could take from this passage. But this is the thing that is just creating a fire in me for my own life is I want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living every day. And what he is saying is, start looking for mustard seeds. Open your eyes to mustard seed moments that are available all around you, that have exponential potential, that are filled with shalom, that are also an invitation to you to partner with me, this is what God's saying, for the glory of other people and the good of other people. And so as the band comes up, take a while. Dan's, Dan's going to take a minute getting up here, so I'll just keep, keep rambling. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless your mind. I bless your eyes. I bless your hearts. I bless your spirits that you may become aware of mustard seed moments. These tiny glimpses of the kingdom that are all around us. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Friends, that's for then when he spoke it, but it's also for now. Friends, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in every moment. It's all around us in these mustard seed glimpses. So what I just want you to invite you to do is for yourself to begin to say, Lord, make me more aware because you're all around us. Oh, do I want to experience the glorious feelings of encountering God. And oh, do I want to see more phenomenon of his power. But also may we just have our eyes open to see sometimes he shows up in a moment in a grocery store, at work, driving, in a song, through a phrase in a book, through a smile. This is a caveat, but I believe also one of the biggest mustard seed moments is he also shows up in pain, in pain. Because oftentimes our pain is a mustard seed moment where there's the potential of the kingdom of God in the midst of it. Let's not miss out. For those of you who are parents, may we teach our children to be on the lookout because God's all around and he's available and the kingdom of God is at hand. And may we be a people in this city that are just letting people know, oh, God's at work. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's small. So I bless all of you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, that you may be on the lookout for mustard seed moments.
and that as you see those, I also encourage you just to tell someone about it. Let's get silly about it. Just saying, I had a mustard seed moment today where I saw a seed of the kingdom. And I want you to know about that. And I take that seed in that moment and I plant it in my life and I allowed it to grow up for my own blessing and the blessings of others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.